Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. All right, so originally we wanted to do a show uh, sort of like hanging on the idea of Christmas gifts you can get for your friends and family. Ho, ho, ho. Cheery, cheery, jingle, jingle. <laughs> and then... Um, I thought later about it, and I said, well, why don't we just make it, like, you know, pick some gifts that are below $200 and, and pick a couple of gifts that are above $200. And that's how we left it. And we knew we were going to do a show based on that. But the other constraint is no records, no music. That's right. It was specifically not music. So after thinking about it, I fell into a philosophical lull about Christmas. I don't like Christmas. And as I get older and older, I care less for it because I don't like the feelings that it engenders in people. Now, between the middle of November and the middle of January, for those, what is that, three months, two months? Human beings, for some reason, become these acquisitive monsters where they have to buy something for somebody and somebody better give me something. And if not, feelings are trounced for, for weeks and weeks and and I'm talking about the, the, the secular Christmas. I'm not talking about the sacred Christmas. That's a wonderful thing. And if you celebrate that, that's good for you. But the, this secular gift-giving thing has got to stop. When I'm walking with my wife down Newbury Street in Boston, and we are doing window shopping, and she says, oh, now there's something you can get me for Christmas. I say, we're right here right <laughs> now. Let's go in and buy it right now. But no, it has to be a Christmas present. I don't, I don't like the feel, like, as I said, I do not like the feelings that it engenders. It, it obligates me to feel a way about gift giving that I really don't feel like being anymore. Well, I'll have to agree with you. Both my partner and I feel the same way. We don't have a Christmas tree. We did get a Christmas tree a few years ago that we planted outside in the garden. We figured we're not going to get a tree every year. It's such a hassle. We planted a pine tree. It's not doing too well. It's not growing too tall. We'll put up some decorations. We'll... Do some wassailing around Christmas. Sure, wassailing, yes. Mold wine and you know, good food. I made some sure. mincemeat for the first time mince, ever. Mince, mince your heart out. Exactly. But the idea of gift giving is, it's like, if I want to buy something throughout the year, I'm going to buy it. I'm not going to wait until Christmas to ask someone for it. Yeah. And the obligate, we were talking just the other day, my partner had to give I think a, a gift to her brother. Steve, if you're listening, you can turn this off right now. And we were saying, like, he sends, he says, this is what I'd like. And to me, giving a gift to someone is something that you choose, that you like, that you think the other person will like, instead of just being like a, what do you call it, a marriage list. An order taker. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, I mean, obviously, he wanted to know what we wanted because that's the way he is. And I wasn't going to say, well, just pick something. So I did, you know, say, well, how about this? And my partner said yes, and then, we, then that's it. But look at all this nonsense that's going on be between the three of you. It's like now because of this Christmas thing. It's like, what do you want? I don't know what you want. You mean what I want? Yes, you, I'll get what you want. Well, the, so the thing is, there are there are several types of people. They're the people you know really well. You're close, your wife, my partner, your children, etc. You know what they're going to want. You know the kind of things that will or won't make them happy. 
Then there's the people you know a little bit. So indirect family, maybe people you work with, maybe very close friends, but you don't know them well enough and you're afraid to get them something that's going to that's going to just go flat and insult them or they'll feel fear. Yeah, exactly. Fear. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's and remember that all of this happens at the time of the year where the days are the shortest and we're dealing with this darkness, not to mention a goddamn global pandemic. It's a period of withdrawal, right? We we're not hibernating, but we're close to it. We're not out as much. We don't have that vitamin D, that sunlight as much. That's very interesting because I I wrote down here it is this acquisition season. Yet the irony is, is that we can't go anywhere. We're not supposed to go anywhere or we shouldn't go anywhere. So we can't go out and acquire things. Is that a, do you suppose this is like a uh, hunter gatherer sort of thing? Like in the wintertime, you gather all, you acquire all the, all your acorns for the winter. So, you know, you have to, I mean, is acquisition a part of it or is it gift giving that's a part of it? I, I think it's a combination of both. Remember that this is a pagan festival originally for the shortest period for the shortest day of the year, the shortest period of the year, et cetera, that the actual Christmas was grafted on by the church to add religion to a secular feast. And the feast was that feast of of the opposite of the Feast of Plenty in the summer. It's the feast of, again, withdrawal, hibernation, making sure you have enough to get through to the next season when you're going to get fresh food. Because at least in Europe or in America, you know, the seasons are such that you'll start getting nuts and berries come the spring, although there's some good winter berries. And you have to make sure that you've stored up enough food to get through the winter, through the cold season. Yeah. So that electric blanket for your cousin Jimmy is a perfect gift this time of year. Yeah. On the other hand, you're not going to get someone water skis for Christmas because they can't use them for months unless they fly down to the Bahamas. That's right. You know, that's another thing. I, we will get to our picks for gifts, as it were. Well, we're not going to call them gifts. Here's, here's some cool stuff you could buy. But you're right. I remember, I remember you can't buy something out of season for Christmas. That's crazy. There are probably some limits. You could give a kid a baseball glove. Because you can still grow out, you can still go outside and throw a baseball around, right? Sure, in the snow. But you're not going to give them things that are summer things. You're not going to give someone a barbecue for Christmas. Well, I don't know. You can barbecue outside. And yeah, I guess it depends on where you are. How about you mean a volleyball set? Is what you mean? <laughs> That's what you meant to say. Well, it depends on the size of your garage. You could play volleyball inside. Oh, I see. There's All always right. there's always an okay. exception, isn't there? I guess so. See how you're thinking about gift giving. See how it is. Your your you're, you're redesigning well, people's garages but, but now. But that's the thing. Imagine that you have a friend or a partner or a spouse who's a runner. They're not going to run as much in winter. They're just not. Unless they go someplace indoors, they're just not. You're not going to give them new running shoes or or uh, one of them new sweat-protecting jerseys or any – you're not going to give them running equipment because it's not a winter sport. So you're limited to gifts that make the most of darkness in many ways. Anyway – Let's talk about what we think are cool things to have, whether you buy them for somebody else or buy them for yourself. Personally, I wouldn't blame you for buying any of these things for yourself any time of the year. That's the, that's really what this show is about. We haven't talked about gear in really in so long or about specific gear. Um, so this was an excuse to do that, too. Well, my choices aren't just gear. Yeah, okay, well, whatever. But there's no records, there's no music. Because right. we, we do that in every episode with our next track picks, of which we will not have any this week. 
All right, you want to talk about gear. My first pick is the Sonos Roam. I think it's currently $179. It is a Bluetooth and Wi-Fi speaker. Most little portable speakers are Bluetooth only. This is Wi-Fi. You can connect it with other Sonos products. So if you even have two, you can make a stereo pair when you're outside doing your barbecue in January. What I like about it is the sound quality is almost as good as the Sonos One. It's better than a HomePod Mini, a little bit less than a full-size HomePod, but kind of fits in the middle. One of the good things about it is it supports Qi charging, that induction charging. So I've got one of those round Qi chargers on a, I guess that's a credenza to my right there, and I just leave the roam there, so it's constantly charging when it needs to charge. A credenza is a kind of lizard, isn't it? Uh, I think that's a um, Descommander that you're thinking of. <laughs> Descommander. Yeah. But it's a nice little device, works with Wi-Fi. If you only have Bluetooth, it works with Bluetooth. If you have Wi-Fi, it works over Wi-Fi. That's, that's reasonable to expect from that product. That's, uh, I'm very impressed with that, Rome. I, the first thing I was concerned about was the sound. I don't own one, but... Good enough sound. Yeah, good enough. Yeah. Um, may I? Please. Since, since you mentioned uh, a speaker sort of thing... I've been finding that I really appreciate my near-field speakers. And I have an iMac. I have a brand-new M1 iMac that has really nice speakers. It's, we've talked about how, how decent the uh, computer audio is coming out of the iMac itself. But, you know, I do stuff that's a little more precious than that. So I have these nice IK Multimedia iLoud speakers. Um, they're mounted on, because I'm so cool, I, I mounted them on microphone stands on desktop microphone stands so i have these two massive um who makes them gator mic stands that hold the speakers right at my head level and i can aim them i mean they're only arms length away that's why they're near field they're near field because what you want is you don't want the sound far away you want the sound right on top of you while you're doing mastering and things like that you want to hear everything it's almost like headphones but they're kind of suspended in front of you when I was working in radio, the production studios always had speakers pointing down from the ceiling. We hung them from the ceiling and pointed them down. Great way to monitor stuff. But my suggestion is this is a great way to listen to music. If you're at the computer for like three, four hours a day, near-field monitors are a great way to listen to music. You can really get into it because they're right there. You don't have to, have to wear headphones. You can hear everything else around the room. Um, these IK uh, iLouds cost $300. They're generally in a lot of best-to-get lists, but there are less expensive near-field monitors that you can get. I'm sure Mackie makes them. Yamaha makes a, a great batch of them. There's a whole bunch of companies that make these. Usually, th these speakers are found in the, re in the recording gear section of you know any catalog. And you might not think to look there if you are not a recording person or a recording studio person. You might just look at all the home stuff. But um, I definitely encourage you to look at, at recording studio stuff because generally it's uh, very well made and, and held to a higher specs than uh, a lot of consumer stuff. Uh, so there you go. Get some near-field monitors for yourself. You'll appreciate it. Are yours active speakers? They are active speakers. Right. So active speakers means that the speakers have amplifiers in them. Yes. These plug so, in. Or you plug it into anything. You don't have to have an amplifier between your source and your listening. Correct. My speakers that I have on my desk 
I keep them a little bit further than you, and I keep them maybe a little bit wider at about 30-degree angle. And I've done this for years, as long as I can remember. These are normal speakers that are plugged into my Sonos amp. This particular ones are Q-Acoustics 3010i, if I'm not mistaken. I'll check and put a mention in the show notes. But I've long been a fan of using real speakers and a real stereo on a computer instead of dinky little computer speakers. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be there for three or four hours and you're going to be listening to music, you might as well listen to it as well as you can. And I think despite the fact that the M1 iMac does play music nicely at low levels. Yeah, you know, it's, just not, it's just not good enough. It's not meaty enough. Right, it's not. It's just not meaty enough. Yeah. Okay, well, my next um, idea is a book. And I was looking through our guests and had any of our guests written books since they've been our guests that we haven't talked about with them because we've talked about a number of books written by guests. And, <laughs> sorry? I, I just, the, that sentence... Was It was fun to follow that sentence. Okay. This is a book that I want to read and I've wanted to read for a while. And it's a big book. And this is like a winter book because it's like eight or 900 pages. So it's, you could burn it after you read it to stay warm. Exactly. It's Wagnerism, Art and Politics in the Shadow of Music by Alex Ross. Alex is the classical music critic for The New Yorker. He was an early guest in the show. And... He is a Wagner fanatic. Now, personally, I don't like Wagner's bombastic music. It's just over the top for me. But what Alex did in this book is he looked into the way Wagner has influenced people, the way people become obsessed by Wagner, its influence in literature, in art, in other types of music, in movies, etc. The, the summary for the book says, in many ways, Wagnerism tells a tragic tale. An artist who might have rivaled Shakespeare in universal reach is undone by an ideology of hate. And I find that interesting, that his music is so widely appreciated, yet, you know, it's the whole art an artist thing and the way his music was appropriated after his death. So Wagnerism, big book, you can get the Kindle version, doesn't weigh anything. Then you don't have to worry about it. That's, a, that's right. You could put it on a digital box thing and yeah. look at it with lights in it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I was uh, wondering how, when we spoke to him, he was working on that. Yeah, he mentioned it. And yeah. this is a project that he worked on for years. Yeah. And Every review I've read says it's wonderful. So it is something I want to read, regardless of my lack of interest in Wagner. What interests me there is the social history of music and how music has this power to affect so many people in, in different ways. Exactly. That's, uh, that's why, if you're not a Wagner fan, I'm not, I kind of like the loud stuff. And I'm not even a classical listener, but I remember I forced myself to watch The Ring when they broadcast it just because I'm never going to get a chance to see it again. What's all the hubbub about? And that was like, what, 20, 30 years ago? Um, so let me go, let me now do something completely different. I, I've been doing a lot of rewiring and replugging things in and unplugging things in and looking at wires and thinking these are old, they got to go. I have about 500 feet of RCA stereo cable. You know, those red and white cables. I've got five, a thousand feet of it. I could wrap my house in it four or five times. And I'm finding I don't need that stuff anymore because a lot of the stuff I do is either wireless or it's digital and it uses USB, micro, B-S-B-I-M-U-A-B-A, whatever. That's a whole other thing. But anyway, um, I'm doing a lot of wiring and pulling things out and cutting things. And I have a jackknife that I carry around with me, but it's just not good enough. And I'm finding whenever I do these little projects, I always have to carry like six tools with me, pair of pliers, wire cutters, things like that. I finally said, no, I'm going to go out and get a Leatherman 
multi-tool, you know, these things that fold up, you unfold them, they have pliers and they have wire cutters and jackknife and all that stuff in it. I'll tell you, it's the best thing I have bought in years. I have it attached on a chain off of my belt, hanging into my lower pocket of my 15-inch inseam Dickies multi-pocket utility pants. So they fit, the utility tool fits into the utility pocket. I'm like so pro. This is my Hausmann uniform, by the way. This is what I wear every day. I wear these, I don't want, I shouldn't get to, I've posted pictures of myself, how I, how I dress around the house. Anyway, now I've got this great tool. I don't have to carry the wire cutters. I don't have to carry, you know, it's a multi-tool. What am I telling you how, how what a multi-tool is? Um, this is the Leatherman rebar. It has everything in it that I need the wire cutters, and you can replace the wire cutter blades, which is terrific because I've owned devices like this in the past and the wire cutter is the first thing that goes. It's got wire strippers in, it's got a couple of saw blades, it's got a two-sided file. Anything you need to do a little bit of wiring and do a little, maybe a little soldering, that's, that would be great if it had a soldering iron <laughs> in it, that would be the next perfect thing. But the soldering iron and the utility tool that's all I really need to do anything. Um, it's a really terrific thing. Now, it's what is it, 70 bucks, 80 bucks? That's what these things go for. But really, it's one of the best tools I've bought in a very long time. I'm, gl I'm, I'm glad I remembered to get it. I bought something like that, not a Weatherman, but a different brand a few years ago. I don't remember where I put it. I think it might be in the car. That's why I put mine on a chain. <laughs> yeah, but see, I don't need it. If, if, I'm, if, if I'm doing wiring, I just go to my toolbox. It's on the other side of the credenza. Pull out the, the, the wire cutter and stripper thing that I have or my screwdrivers or whatever. Or in the drawer below my desk, I've got scissors and a Danley knife. So I don't really need something like that. I like the idea of it. I do. Yeah. And I bought one. There's another brand that's not as expensive. And it could have been like an Amazon deal of the day. And I think I put it in the car. I'll have to check and try and find where it is. Is it Gerber? Gerber is the other one? Might be. Yeah, might be. But it's like half the price of Leatherman. And I'm just looking on Amazon. Leatherman, I'm looking here in the UK, there's some for like 150 pounds with like 87 tools. And yeah, it comes with a television. It comes with a, you know, it all comes with all kinds well, of stuff. Well, bottle opener, things. which is important. See if it had a corkscrew. Now, I have a Swiss Army knife that I keep in my bag that I carry around with me. The main reason, because it has a corkscrew in it. And you never know when you're going to need a corkscrew. I bought this Swiss Army knife in Zermatt, Switzerland in 1982, first European wow, trip. Wow, it's an actual Swiss. It is actual really Swiss. <laughs> well, you go to Switzerland, you got to buy a Swiss Army knife. And I've had it ever since. And I don't use it a lot, but if you're ever out at a picnic and you need a, a corkscrew, you've got it. Right. Well, I wear my jackknife on my, by my side as well. So. No, <laughs> See, I'm, all, you, I'm, don't, I'm the houseman. Yeah, I, I know. I, I have to fix things, change yeah. dad, change the bulb. You know, hon, can you do this? It's like, I need this multi-tool. I need the tools on me. Otherwise, yeah. See, I have to run me. and find them. Yeah. Well, I keep my, I, I have uh, enough OCD to always put my tools back where they were when I started. So I know where they are. Okay, T-shirts. We all like T-shirts, band T-shirts, right? You especially like T-shirts. You must have dozens. You got lots of cat T-shirts. I want to talk about a T-shirt for charity called Music Declares Emergency. This group raises awareness and encourages government action on climate and ecological crisis through music, the music industry, and audiences. I have two of these T-shirts. One is by Peter Saville, and it's a, it's a riff on the cover of Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures. And the second one is by Jamie Reed, which is a riff on the Sex Pistols, Nevermind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols album. 
They're both white on black. They've got about, looks like 10 different designs by different designers and that, that most of them are related to certain albums, but not all of them. I don't know if you can get these in the US, to be honest. This is, I'm looking in the UK. They cost, well, because I don't know if they're shipping to the US or if you were to ship, would you have to pay, you know, duties or whatever? Seems kind of cool. I wouldn't mind kicking in a few extra bucks for some of those goodies. Good cause. Well, They'll they'll be a link. They're they're twenty pounds each here, which is pretty cheap for a t-shirt when you think and and it's for charity. So if you want a t-shirt that not everyone's going to have, in the sense that someone sees like the Joy Division Peter Saville t-shirt, they say, "Well, that looks familiar," but it's not what they expect. Great conversation starter because when you first had that on, I was, "What is that?" Because it's not. Uh, it kind of looks like it, but it's not. Yep. So if we were talking to uh, T.J. Connolly. A couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about recording and stuff like that, and and we were asking him, and this was off the show, we weren't recording this, and one of us asked him, um, how do how do other people submit? How do they do their shows? How do they record their shows for your for your FM network for your streaming network? And he says, well, there's this free app on on your Mac called GarageBand, and I that's that stuck with me. It's like, you know, you've got a recording studio on your Mac. If you have a Mac, the GarageBand is is not a toy. It's really something. Um, a lot of podcasters use it. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure there are albums that have been recorded using GarageBand. It's Big Brother Logic is probably more sensible for the professional, but I use GarageBand. I've done music with it and things like that. And in order to do music with GarageBand, you have to have a, a controller. You need... You need an input device that looks like a piano, that looks like a keyboard, that doesn't make any sound itself, but you need a keyboard controller to make the sounds go on GarageBand. And I have a feeling that, that that's probably something that maybe people aren't really interested in buying. But I'm telling you, I've got this iRig Keys 2, again, from... I'm going to sound like we're doing a sponsorship for IK Multimedia, but IK Multimedia makes these keyboard controllers... And I have a full-sized M-Audio keyboard controller that I can, you know, it, it feels like a real piano. But I love these mid-size keys because you don't need a full-size keyboard when you're doing computer stuff. You just need to play like a riff that goes dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And then you want it to, and then you want to sit there for five minutes and do dum dun dun dum 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 dun dun You know, you're not, you're, you're, you're building a piece. You're not performing it. So you don't need a full-fledged keyboard for any of that stuff. And, and like I said, in order to take advantage of all the noises that GarageBand has, they got great loops, great samples, you need a keyboard. I heartily recommend investing in and doing this. This is so much fun. They've got drummers. You don't, know, you don't need to know how to drum. There are drummers in the software that will just keep dum dum all for as long as you want, for as long as you want to play it. You can you can sample your own things and and cut them up and do your own stuff like that. It's um, I don't know why I dropped out of doing a lot of home recording, but and as I said, I have a full size keyboard, but it was such a pain to set up. This little one just sits on my desk. It just sits in front of the iMac, and whenever I get the hankering, I can pull it out. Now I you, you don't really get the hankering and then start playing. You've got to set aside an hour or two to to do this. But, um, you know, I think making music at home could be so much fun if you just took that extra step 
in GarageBand and, and got a, an external keyboard controller and just had fun with it. It's great. Okay, if you're a music fan, what could be cooler than owning something that your favorite musician has used? Like, you know, musicians, sometimes they'll toss guitar picks out in the audience and, you know, fans like to have that. There is a group called Wear Your Music that sells guitar strings and they're sort of bracelets. They're rolled around into bracelets, and they do this for charity. Each musician who donates the strings selects a charity. And, well, the, the wear your music, they're obviously making a profit, but the money, some of the money goes to charity. They're not cheap. They can be a couple hundred to a few hundred dollars. I'm just going to mention a handful of names. There are a lot of A-list musicians here. Ann Wilson of Heart, Ben Harper, Bella Fleck, Bill Frizzle, Brian Adams, Carlos Santana, Buddy Cage, Dave Matthews, David Grisman, David Nelson, Derek Trucks, Bob Weir, Eric Clapton. Seriously, Eric Clapton? And they're actually talking about giving money to COVID-19 charities. So we can just ignore Eric Clapton. You go down the list, Jack Cassidy, Yorma Kalkinen have things there. Personally, I don't think I would want to wear a guitar string that my guitar hero had played, but I like the idea. You might want that. I would. Would you? Okay, so who... Yeah, I think I kind of might. Who? Which guitarist would you like? I mean, if it was Jerry Garcia, then I'd be happy, but Jerry's been dead for... Robert Fripp or something, but probably not. Well, he's a charity kind of guy. I could actually probably just email Robert Fripp and he'd send me a string. Ooh, I don't know about that. He charges 100 bucks to write an aphorism signed on a piece of paper. I'll give him 50 bucks. Okay. Well, anyway, it's an interesting idea. And one of the problems, though, is that... A lot of these are out of stock, and and I think there's a very limited, and I guess because musicians haven't been performing a lot, they're not using a lot of strings. Yeah, I mean, how many sets are you, plus how long are you going to remember to save your strings for this particular thing? They probably... They probably have some sort of plan behind this if it's for a charity. As an example for price, Peter Frampton's bracelet is $275. Paul McCartney, all they have is a pendant at 225 which has like a little bit of a string or something inside it rather than a full string. They're- it's like those relics. It's like those, uh, those, those wooden – it's a piece of the cross. We have a splinter from the crucifix. There, there are some bass players, so those are going to be thicker. Um, let's see, Warren Haynes, how much is his? 325 that's not bad. Oh, popular guy. Yeah, yeah he's good. pretty yeah. popular. Willie Nelson, see, that would be cool. Willie Nelson, 350 uh, No, it's a cuff. That's not the actual string. So the cuff is like a bracelet with a string in it, like embedded in it. it it's They've got four different things, so you, you could check it out. So I'll link to this. It's called Wear Your Music. And if you've got a favorite guitar hero that you like, you can maybe get some of their strings or one of their or strings. Or someone on your Christmas list. Uh, <laughs> we come back to that again. See? Yep. One of our regular guests is uh, Chris Conacher from uh, Audiophile Style. I keep wanting to call it Computer Audiophile. I'm habit. And um, I get an email notification every week or so from the forums there where people post new questions and stuff. And I always make sure to go over and look because that's where the fascinating audio talk is. And somebody had a question about how they could trans, uh, how they could send um, uh, music wirelessly around their house, blah, 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 blah. I didn't, I didn't pay much attention to it. I just went down to the answer and the guy said, well, if you can tolerate CD quality, 1644, you should get this. 
Um, this you can use this in multiple rooms. You can use it on your receiver. And I, I looked at it and I said, that looks pretty interesting because I need something to replace my airport expresses. You know, something that does airplay. This thing does airplay. It does Wi-Fi audio. It pulls in streams from the Internet over your phone with the app. So I made an impulse buy and I bought it. And this is the audio engine BFI. It is a wireless streamer. It logs into your Wi-Fi. It works just like an Airport Express. I got it plugged into my uh, receiver, and it works just like my Airport Expresses do, except, man, it sounds really good. I did some testing against an Airport Express and against the way I usually get audio to my receiver from my computers, and that's by USB. I have USB out, then it goes into a DAC, and then blah, blah, blah. But this wireless... This, it sounds really good. And especially when I play lossless music from Apple Music uh, wirelessly right to the receiver. It's, it's, it's quite good. Now, it's $188. It was an impulse buy. I said, I'm going to get one of these. Maybe I shouldn't. You know, maybe I should ask for this for Christmas. But I'll tell you, I'm pretty satisfied with it. It's a nice little device. It's by Audio Engine. It's called the BeFi. They also make one that just does Bluetooth. But I, you know, I don't want to have Bluetooth. This is this works on the Wi-Fi. So the BFI is the one that I have. It's it's terrific. Well, let me mention, and this isn't a pick of mine, but I know that there's another device that does it's it's the Belkin Soundform Connect audio adapter with AirPlay 2. It is ninety-nine, well, it's a hundred dollars. It has optical and analog audio out. It doesn't have RCA jacks like yours. It's just got a quarter inch jack out. So you'd have to have uh, adapter cables, but it's smaller. It doesn't have that antenna standing up and it's about half the price. It's got USB-C. I assume that's to, to power it. It sounds like it's, it's, it's for use with speakers. It sounds like it would be a, a better use with speakers because that because of the single output. Right, you'd plug it into one speaker, and then the other. And no, you'd plug it into an amplifier or a receiver. Right, but you could plug it into speakers too, right? Well, if they're active speakers, you can. Yeah, exactly. Why, so you the, have one one does, cable going. Wait, to the, is yours an amplifier as well? No. Okay, so why does it have RCA jacks? So you can plug it into the receiver. So you can plug it into the receiver. Okay. Right. So the only difference is that you'd need a, an adapter. I use the optical out. Right. So if you're not using the optical with the Belkin, you'd need an adapter from a quarter inch to dual RCA or whatever. But both of them are designed to plug into receivers. So you've got a really good receiver, but it doesn't have airplay, and you don't want to trash the receiver because it's really good. Right. So anyway, this is about half the price, slightly different use case. Also, I, I, it gives us another chance just to complain that Apple should have stayed in the Wi-Fi business. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, uh, can you imagine having an Apple Mesh? We've talked about this before, but an Apple Mesh system yeah. would have been divine. Uh, imagine that all of Apple's home devices, the HomePod, the HomePod Mini, the Apple TV, they all work with a mesh. They would have to have some sort of, they wouldn't, Apple would not make another router that connects to the internet, but they would make a mesh system that connects to a router, I think. And they would have to have like a base station that goes out into everything. And no matter whether the devices are big or small, they'd be able to just manage the, the Wi-Fi. They had that. It was turnkey. <laughs> it was like they had it right there and they just dumped out of it. I, they must have done research that said there's nothing here for us. But. I think it's a tough market because you probably have a lot of support for that. So you've got the cost to support it because Wi-Fi, although I must say I've had my 
Netgear Orbi for five years now, and I have never needed to contact support. I've, a couple of times I've had to reset it, a couple of times I've had to look things up, but I've never needed actual support. Same here. Exactly. Very reliable system. Okay, so Black Friday, I spent more money than I've ever spent on Black Friday. I bought a 65-inch LG OLED TV, which is really glorious. I bought a Sonos Arc soundbar, which is going to be my pick here. I I'd had a Sonos Beam, but the difference is the Sonos Arc is bigger. It, I think it has 11 speakers compared to four in the Beam. And it's got side and height speakers for Dolby Atmos. I sent you a picture of my TV room the other day because you had never seen it. It's a very narrow room that's really only ideal for a small child. The house I'm in has six bedrooms, and two of them are very, very small like this. So it would be like a toddler room at best, and we've recovered it and used it. It's wide enough for the TV with about two feet on each side, and we've got two chairs in front and little tables, and that's it. I, I, I like that the arc is more expansive, more present. The beam is relatively narrow, so if you sit fairly close to the TV as we do, you don't get much space from it. There is a Beam version 2 now, which I think does Atmos, but it's still a narrow sound bar. And you want something that's relatively wide to spread the sound out. Uh, we, I really haven't watched anything yet that takes advantage of the Atmos, because if you're watching a TV series, I've been watching Mad Men on Amazon Prime Video. It is in surround sound, but you don't notice it that much. You really notice it in a movie like, like a James Bond or a Star Wars or that kind of movie. But it's a much clearer sound than the Beam, bigger, more expansive, louder, etc. If you have a Sonos product older than a certain age, I can't tell you how much, and you haven't gotten an email from Sonos yet, go to their website. You should be able to get a 15% discount on any Sonos product just by saying, well, I've got this old product and I want to upgrade it. So I, because I had a Beam, I could get 15% off the Sonos Arc, which is a big saving. The Sonos Arc is... Eight ninety nine normal price, so fifteen percent off that is a good deal. So if you need a sound bar, Sonos Arc is nice. It's very long, so you might want to check if you've got a forty inch TV. You don't want a Sonos Arc; it's way too long. Probably fifty five inch is about the, the the smallest you could get to use the Sonos Arc. Did I zone out? And did you say? Did you talk about playing music through it? Have you tried that? Oh, music! Music sounds really good. Yeah, I did some Apple Music tests, including some spatial audio stuff, which, you know, I don't really like the spatial audio. But what's interesting is in this particular room, it doesn't sound too artificial because the room itself is narrow. Uh, so you don't really hear things behind you the same way that you do from your iMac or my iMac with some of the spatial audio. It's very clear for music. The, the Sonos Arc, like all Sonos devices, has EQ settings on like the HomePods. Uh, you can choose bass and treble. You can add a subwoofer to it. The, interestingly, they're going to be releasing a subwoofer mini, I think they're calling it. And some people noticed this in the Sonos app. The problem with the Sonos soundbar is it's like $700, which is... I'm not going to pay that just for a subwoofer. If they come out with a $300 subwoofer, I might. But that's still a lot of money for a subwoofer. Didn't you say, are the speakers, aren't some of the speakers uh, positionable? Can you adjust them? No, the you side? can't. No, there are two that go out to either side and there are two that point up. And so that's for the Atmos. What you can do is you can change the volume on the height speakers. Oh, okay. And so that's the additional Atmos sound that gives you more of the surround feeling. And I haven't tried to set that up yet. It's probably to adjust for ceiling height, right? 
It's to adjust for ceiling height and maybe how much of your height speaker sound gets absorbed by what's in the room mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Sonos has a thing called TruePlay in the app, and you turn it on, you walk around with an iPhone, and it hears the sounds and it adjusts things. You can't use it with an iPhone 13 or an iPhone 12 or the latest iPads or anything. I'd have to get like an old iPhone and set it up with the Sonos app to be able to do it. I don't know why. You know, we're three months on from when these new devices came out, and it's not only the newest ones. It's all the latest iPad Pros. So we're talking, you know, more than a year back. Gee, that's weird because, you know, Sonos and Apple usually, they work friendly. They're okay, right? Well, it's just a question of developers updating the the, the system for the new for each device. I don't know if it has something to do with the fact that apps have to ask permission to use the microphone on devices. And maybe, you know, there's these new oh, yeah. granular yeah. permissions for accessing certain things. Yep. And maybe that's a problem, but you can still do it with older phones. I, I think I could probably set up my partner's iPhone 11 and do it with that. So I haven't done that to tweak the arc to the way Sonos does it. So basically they're detecting the the sounds and their reflections and stuff. I, I don't want to be the guy to say this, but you should do that. I know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you should do it now, and then we'll break. <laughs> no, <don't do laughs> no it. that would take a little bit too long. Well, I'd be curious to know how it uh, how that works, how it how you can get it to fit the room. Because yeah. that's, that's really important. You know, yeah. in 1974, <laughs> you couldn't do that. You put the speakers over there, and it's like, now you can adjust for the room. And all but you had a 10-band graphic equalizer. Oh, I sure did. You could adjust, <laughs> yep, you could adjust 10 bands on each speaker, and... Yeah. I was all over the place. Yeah. yeah. All right. Is that it? You don't have any more? <laughs> I wrote this down. I don't know. I, I don't know what I was thinking last night. I wrote clips. <laughs> I, you know, as the houseman, I'm constantly uh, modifying and making things and having to uh, jerry rig things. And the thing that I have most of that helps, I find helping, is these file folder clips. You know, the they're not they're not paper clips. They're the file folder clips. They have like you know silver. Uh, little handles, and you squeeze them, and the piece of metal is has enough tension on it that it It's grips. black spring steel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I, a few years ago, fell in love with mini file folder clips. They're really good for holding wires together and things like that on little projects. For instance, um, I have a, a couple of speaker cables that run from one end of a room to the other end of the room, and to keep the speaker cables from separating, every two feet or so I have... I use these clips to hold the wires together. You would do that. It makes the uh, the cable heavier because of the metal, you know. Um, but then I started collecting these things. I, I'm obsessing with these clips. They make mini ones, regular size, medium, large, extra large, and jumbo. The elusive jumbo file folder clip I have yet to find. But I do have some extra large ones. And I've used them to build furniture. I mean, I've taken two, I, I got two of these two little cheap Ikea tables and clipped them together with these big extra, extra large paper clips. And now I have a TV table, a TV stand. I've used them to hold wires into place. They're just terrific things. You can link them together so that you can hang things. Um, I've, you can use them on the edge of your desk. I see this all the time. You put them on the edge of the desk and you run cables through them to keep your cables neat, depending on how big the silver handle parts are. Um, they're, just, they're just wonderful things, and you can buy them by the gross, I'm sure, at Amazon. But I am so hooked on them, and it's just one of those goofy things that's uh, 
Boy, I, I got a whole drawer full of them. I just love them. I think I'm going to mount them and <laughs> on the wall, like, you know, like a butterfly collector would have. Like, you know, you ever seen the butterfly collector? Okay, these, all these butterflies are the same. No, no, they're not. They're somewhat different. So I, I'm, I, I think I may do that. But they're wonderful things, and whoever invented them, here's to you. Yeah, I've been using things like this for a while. I, I was looking on Amazon to see what they're called. They're called fold-back clips or large binder clips. Binder clips, right. Or large paper clamps, it depends. I've been using those for decades for things like that. Sure. They are because they're really strong. You can hurt yourself if you put one of those on your finger. Your finger will turn blue. Yeah. So as you say, you know, holding a cable onto a, the side of a desk or something like that, they're really practical. I found, uh, since we're going to talk about it, I found a variety of them that isn't metal. It's all wire. And it has an interesting spring system. And I actually, that's, if you've seen my my stars above uh, blanket that I have hanging from above my head, I have ringing the, uh, the edge of the blanket. I have these lights, these purple lights that are held in place by these all wire binders. They're very light so that, you know, you don't have the heaviness. And uh, so they make those, too. I don't know where you're going to... You might run into those if you're doing an Amazon search. I don't know what they call those. Do, do you have the multicolored sets? Well, of course. Well, of course. Because here's here's a bunch on Amazon with four colors and little smiley faces. Well, I don't them. like the smiley faces. That's not... I don't... I don't... I don't... No. I'm not like that. But I do have the color. But there is... There are a variety of colors. Yeah. Colors are good because, you know, they're great you could for wiring and things like that. Yeah. Okay, my last pick is another book, nothing to do with music. It is The Oxford Companion to Spirits and Cocktails. Until lockdown came, I just was not a cocktail drinker. Um, I've long been a fan of wine. I had an extraordinary education in wine when I lived in France. And my partner and I decided, well, let's try some cocktails. And this is a rabbit hole, cocktails, because you can, you know, you can make a gin and tonic, that's easy, but that's not a cocktail. It's figuring out the right ratio for a martini with a specific gin and a specific vermouth that is just, you know, you've just got to get it right. This book just came out a month or two ago, and apparently it's two people who are really big in cocktails. And what it's mostly about what interests me is about the history of different cocktails. It's not so much about recipes for cocktails. And I'll link in the show notes to Difford's Guide, a website in the UK, which is extraordinary for recipes. You can you can set up an account and list all the ingredients you have and then find all the cocktails you can make with the ingredients. And that's really interesting. But this is a – think of it as a dictionary of terms and related to spirits and cocktails. So there's all the names of the cocktails, but then there's things about distilling, and then there's things about mixers and garnishes, because, I mean, the choice of a garnish for a martini, you really have to match your garnish with your gin and vermouth. It's very important. There's a section on mixology, culture, theory, technique, and tools. There are spirits. There are spirits institutions, spirits personalities. And much, much more. It's it's in the form of a dictionary, which isn't always the best way, but it's the kind of book that you just pick up and choose a page and read. Or if you just want to know about garnishes, you look for the garnish section. So The Oxford Companion to Spirits and Cocktails. Big book, 800 pages, something like that. No, 960 pages even. Kind of like a, you know, big reference work. Um, I Do I get one more? If you want. All right, I'll do one more. I wasn't going to do this. I just thought of it now in case I needed one more, but... 
I got this neat little thing, another impulse buy. I don't know how much I paid for it. It's a volume knob. It's a USB volume knob that I plug into the back of my iMac. Um, I was using the keys on my keyboard to change and lower the volume, but I, that just didn't seem right. So I said, you know, that volume that has a nice big knob. It's about two inches big. It sits on the uh, it sits in, on, in front of my iMac, and I got it plugged into the back, and it's 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 a very satisfying knob. Now I don't know how you feel about knobs, but I like turning knobs. You know, you know, you know how you have your, on your AV receiver. You know the volume knob. Oh, it's oh, that's nice. You judge the whole the the whole piece of machinery on on whether the volume knob turns nice. Well, that's what this is like. It's very satisfying, and I've gotten so used to just reaching over and turning it now. Now, the the fun thing is that it's analog. You know, it's a knob. I get to touch it, and I can see and hear and feel. On the computer, which I know that's a weird sounding thing to say about having a computer, but I, I do miss knobs. <laughs> I used to work a lot with knobs. I used to have huge analog mixing tables and things like that. And uh, so this was a satisfying thing. I think it was like 20 bucks. They're all they're on Amazon. You can find them. Okay. I've got one more, which is if someone wants to send me a gift. It is the Cell Alpha by Sing, S-Y-N-G. Now, I've been reading about this for a while. I'll put a link in the show notes to our episode where we determined that stereo is wrong. And the problem with listening to music is the tyranny of the hotspot. This is apparently, they're calling it the world's first triphonic speaker, that wherever you sit, you're in the hotspot, they say. That you could use one and it's fine. You could use two or three and you get more and more surrounded by music. We should say that this has been our holy grail for a while now to find something like this. And this is, I, I don't remember you talking about this before. Have you mentioned this before? I may have mentioned it in passing. I, I only decided to add this this morning because I got an email today saying it's now available in Europe and the United Kingdom. The, the guy behind this is some former Apple engineer. I'm not sure if he was involved in a HomePod or something like that. It's it's a high price thing. It starts at $17.99, though I can get 10% off on a single cell or 20% off for two or more cells right now. I, I just, I can't. First of all, it's way too expensive for me. And second of all, I just can't buy something without actually hearing it in person. Like they do say that you can return it. But, you know, if they're shipping from the U.S. and you got customs duties, it just makes it ridiculous. But I just like the idea. If this really works like this, I would really like to uh, – I mean – I'm so tired of that pair of speakers, that pair of speakers. and The tyranny of the stereo spectrum, yeah. The tyranny of the sweet spot. And as you said earlier with your near-field monitors, it's the same thing. Because the near-field monitors are relatively inflexible. They have to be balanced just right because they're so close. When you're further away in a room, you don't notice it. But that's where the sweet spot gets to you the most. So seeing S-Y-N-G, link in the show notes, expensive. If anyone wants to send me one, I'll give you my address. Well, at least it's not two speakers, it's one. Well, you see, you might one want device. two. Yeah. So what they say is, for critical listening, one cell easily blankets a 300-square-foot room and sound. If your goal is room-filling ambience, one cell can cover a space up to 900 square feet, ambience, as opposed to critical listening. And if you want to have two, it makes it even better. And they show the kind of overlap. They've got some videos showing the overlap, and there's a, 
Um, there's a, an app and it's, it's a round thing. Looks like from the Jetsons. So it's kind of when you think of the HomePod with sound coming out all around it, it's getting sound that's reflected in different places. And I don't know. I, I mean, I wish this was true because I think being stuck with two speakers all the time is just a constraint. Well, yeah, but that's the way, that's the way it is. And that's the way this was. It was episode number 224 of The Next Track. Thank you for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free and self-sustaining, so your support is what keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams at for Kirk McElhern. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.